Chapter Three of Jane Austen and Her Country House Comedy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jane Austen and Her Country House Comedy by William Henry Helm. Chapter Three Origins of Characters, Matchmaking, Second Marriages, Negative Qualities of the Novels close knowledge of one class dislike of lionizing madame de stal the lower orders tradesmen social position quality of jane's letters balls and parties in her letters as in her books the satiric touch was on almost everything that jane austen wrote her habit of making pithy little notes on the doings of her acquaintances was in writing to her sister irrepressible the pith was not bitter it was just the comment of a highly intelligent woman to whom the gods had given the gift of humour and who in an age when most girls of her day were as ingenuous as evelina or as catherine morland had learned how much insincerity and affectation coloured the conduct even of kind and well-meaning people in her references to the foibles of real men and women we gain many glimpses of the origins if not the originals of some of her character studies at an ashford ball in seventeen ninety eight one of the royal dukes was present and among those who supped in his company were cassandra and a mrs cage with whom the austens were well acquainted this lady was uneasy in the presence of royalty and her mistakes were described in a letter from cassandra james mention of the incident in her reply is a fair sample of the way in which in her more serious mood this young woman of twenty-three regarded the weakness of her less cool and reasonable friends i can perfectly comprehend mrs cage's distress and perplexity she has all those kinds of foolish and incomprehensible feelings which would make her fancy herself uncomfortable in such a party i love her however in spite of all her nonsense one can see a hint of mrs allen and mrs bennet in the silly woman who flustered herself and fidgeted her companions in her attempts to assume what she supposed to be the right behaviour on such an occasion jane who had never seen a prince so far as we know would have had no distress and perplexity she would have curtsied in the prettiest way the duke would have been charmed by her graceful figure her clear complexion and her soft brown eyes and she would next day have written to her sister all the minute particulars which only woman's language can make interesting her reflections on the gossip of the hour are not always quite so kindly when mr charles powlett of whose rejected offer of a kiss we have already heard brings home a wife jane tells her sister that this bride is discovered to be everything that the neighbourhood could wish her silly and cross as well as extravagant once when a story has reached her in the way that russian scandal is played by the muddling up of half understood particulars in the process of transmission from mouth to ear she has to correct a previous statement about some of the austin circle on inquiring of mrs clerk i find that mrs heathcote made a great blunder in her news of the crooks and morleys it is young mr crook who is to marry the second miss morley and it is the miss morleys instead of the second miss crook who were the beauties at the music meeting this seems a more likely tale a better devised imposture the sting is where stings usually are scandal 
was as distasteful to her as it can have been to madame de chatelet of whom voltaire said tout ce qui occupait la société était de son ressort or de médecance jane gave cassandra many little bits of news about their friends which the principals might have resented but between sister and sister such things are not scandalous and for those who read them now they may talk about the incidents referred to as freely as they like without harm to any one many of the scandals jane mentions are serious only in her innocent fun we hear for instance that in eighteen o nine martha and dr mant are as bad as ever he runs after her in the street to apologize for having spoken to a gentleman while she was near him the day before poor mrs mant can stand it no longer she is retired to one of her married daughters jane amused herself and her sister and teased poor martha by her jokes on this affair as dr m is a clergyman she writes this attachment however immoral has a decorous air mrs jennings sir john middleton's mother-in-law would have told the story quite seriously and with immense gusto at the barton breakfast-table but dr mant and martha were not transferred to a novel to the discomfort of themselves and their families and the delight of the romanoclef hunters of southampton the letters do seem occasionally to bring us into the company of people whom we know quite well in the novels jane replying to cassandra at christmas seventeen ninety eight says i am glad to hear such a good account of harriet bridges she goes on now as young ladies of seventeen ought to do admired and admiring i dare say she fancies major elkington as agreeable as warren and if she can think so it is very well alter the surnames and this passage might apply as well to harriet smith as to harriet bridges i dare say she fancies mr martin as agreeable as mr churchill and if she can think so it is very well might have been written by emma to dear anne weston about the little friend from the boarding school jane as in this case of harriet bridges took so much interest in the love affairs of her friends that we often think of emma woodhouse and her matchmaking propensities about which mr knightley spoke so harshly by emma's advice harriet smith having refused robert martin the young farmer had regarded mr elton as a prospective husband and when he went elsewhere emma had selected frank churchill for the vacant post then through a serious mistake mr knightley was the man until at last the inconsiderate irrational unfeeling nature of her conduct became clear to her mind and harriet was allowed to marry the constant martin mrs mitford declared that jane austen was husband hunting at twelve years of age but the old lady's memory was evidently quite untrustworthy about people and dates when she talked such nonsense jane was however on her own showing fond of looking out for possible husbands for her pretty little nieces here is an instance from a letter of eighteen fourteen young wyndham accepts the invitation he is such a nice gentlemanlike unaffected sort of young man that i think he may do for fanny next day she is less pleased with him this young wyndham does not come after all a very long and very civil note of excuse has arrived it makes one moralize upon the ups and downs of this life that the habit was hereditary it was a custom of jane's time even more than it is of our own we may see from a report she sent to cassandra of the pleasure with which mr and mrs austen with one accord 
lighted upon a suitable match for their elder daughter he was a beauty of my mother's having no affair of her own to trouble her rest jane took an active part as adviser for those in whose fate she was affectionately interested especially was this the case with this favourite niece fanny knight who having fancied she was in love with one man discovered that she preferred or thought she preferred another do not be in a hurry wrote aunt jane the right man will come at last you will in the course of the next two or three years meet with somebody more generally unexceptionable than any one you have yet known who will love you as warmly as possible and who will so completely attract you you will feel you never really loved before fanny who was inimitable irresistible whose queer little heart and its flutterings were the delight of my life might have been fickle but she did not said her aunt deserve such a punishment as to fall in love after marriage and with the wrong man jane's views on second marriages are expressed in the case of lady sons whose haste to find consolation after the death of lord sons was the subject of much chatter among the mrs jenningses and the mrs bennets of her neighbourhood had her first marriage been of affection or had there been a grown-up single daughter i should not have forgiven her but i consider everybody as having a right to marry once in their lives for love if they can and provided she will now leave off having bad headaches and being pathetic i can allow her i can will her to be happy in the novels no woman of consequence excepting the callous and selfish lady susan vernon is allowed a second mate nor is the courtship before any of the marriages much in accord with the general practice of english fiction there is not even a description of some splendid wedding jane by the way did not regard a marriage as the proper occasion for public advertisement of the bride's qualities such a parade she writes of the conduct of a certain alarming bride is one of the most immodest pieces of modesty that one can imagine to attract notice could have been her only wish it might seem indeed that the most original characteristic of her works is the absence of almost all the qualities of plot and treatment on which fiction usually depends for success with the public if we are asked of some modern lady writer what are her books like and we replied in one respect they are conventional for they all end in the choosing of wedding rings but scarcely anybody in these novels feels the grand passion they have no relation to current events nobody ever has a strange adventure only one married woman is faithless to her vows no adventurous appears there are no foreigners no one is in revolt against anything nobody is seriously troubled about the trend of society or the decadence of morals and taste nobody starves or commits a murder or engineers a swindle there are no cruel husbands no triple menages and no mysterious occurrences of detectives and as nobody dies nobody makes deathbed revelations the retort would probably imply what stupid stuff they must be these novels do indeed depend for their effect on less of plot and passion than almost any others of consequence yet written there are many novels of small plot balzac in eugenie grandet george sand in tamaris 
show that even stormy novelists can do with a modicum of events but the lack of both plot and passion is rare in the work that lives it is thus that the genius of jane austen is strongly displayed only genius could give a vital an enduring fascination to a record chiefly concerned with the ordinary experiences of a few respectable country people almost all of one class she had the power because with the gifts of expression and of humour she combined an almost perfect knowledge of a typical section of society all the more clearly exhibited because of her comparative ignorance of any other section she did not care to study the very poor the very rich were outside her circle of common experience and she would rarely write about people or phases of life that were not as familiar to her as the squire's daughter in the manners of the hunt ball she had none of disraeli's audacity my son said isaac disraeli when someone expressed surprise at the knowledge of exalted circles shown in the young duke my son sir when he wrote that book had never even seen a duke jane austen never having seen a duke or a ducal palace never attempted to describe either she shrank from any kind of lionizing whether in village society or in the great world and to this healthy pride is no doubt partly due the obscurity in which she lived and died one instance of her reserve may be adduced soon after the appearance of mansfield park she was invited in the politest manner to the party at the house of a nobleman who suspected her of the authorship of that book and who as an inducement intimated that she would be able to converse with madame de stal miss austen says her brother immediately declined the invitation to her truly delicate mind such a display would have given pain instead of pleasure the story which has sometimes been regarded as evidence of improper pride on the part of the english novelist is in keeping with all that is known of jane austen's nature had the meeting of the authors of emma and corinne come about one would like to have heard their conversation the talking would have largely been on one side madame who knew the world and enjoyed the distinction of having been called a wicked schemer and a fright by the greatest man of her time would have tried in vain to impress the unaffected englishwoman who cared so little for politics and napoleon that in whose novels which madame regarded as vulgaire she scarcely alluded to either jane would have listened attentively and now and again when madame paused for breath would have made a polite remark the covert humour of which would have been lost on her famous companion there is no suggestion that any hint as to madame de stal's reputation had reached chawton cottage otherwise some might suppose that it was not only the diffident modesty jane's brother alleges which prevented her from going to the party it is quite likely that she who described the loves of lydia bennett and maria rushworth with such an entire absence of sermonizing would yet have felt that though she might like to converse on a more private occasion with the author of corinne and delphine she would prefer not to be matched with a lady who had put to so practical a test her theories de l'influence des passions sur le bonheur could there be a stronger contrast physical or moral than between the country parson's slight and good-looking daughter 
whose knowledge of men and affairs was gained in the parlors of manor-houses and the assembly-rooms of watering-places, and the financier's stout and ugly daughter, whose political activities were so persistent that she had been expelled from Paris, who had traveled, mingling in the society of the governing classes, the artists, the men of letters in Italy, Germany, and other lands, and whose literary performances, historical, political, and imaginative, were read wherever educated readers existed? If Jane had no strong desire to be brought into contact with the great wise and eminent of her time, neither were her tastes at all in the direction of social equality or the advocacy of the rights of man, and while she was indifferent to the famous and influential, she was scarcely more concerned for the obscure and lowly. Admire her work as we may, and love her as many of us must, we cannot recognize that she was much in sympathy with any class but her own. It is certainly to no undue regard for social position, to no want of charitable intention, that we can attribute her general neglect of the drama, comedy, and tragedy alike of humble life. It might be said that she could, and if she would, have drawn the poor as well as she drew the gentry. She knew her limitations, and thus such rare sketches of the lower orders as she gives stop short of any errors of understanding. Mrs. Reynolds, Darcy's housekeeper, whose admiration for her master and his sister is so strongly expressed, and Thomas, the servant at Barton Cottage, who comes in to describe how he has seen Mr. and Mrs. Ferrars in Exeter, are in no way out of drawing, though the phrase with which the author finishes off the man-service, Thomas and the tablecloth, now alike needless, were soon dismissed, so aptly suggests the position accorded to the working classes in her own works that it almost seems to have a double meaning. Let anyone familiar with the novels try to recall occasions when a servant is introduced, even in such common cases as the answering of a bell or waiting at table, and he will find it hard to add to the examples already given any with a better part than the overworked nanny at the Watsons, who, when Lord Osborne is paying his untimely visit, puts her head in at the door and says, Please, ma'am, master wants to know why he bent to have his dinner. As for the class from which most of these servants came, it has no place at all. Emma takes Harriet to a cottage where there is a convalescent child who requires jellies or beef tea, but the visit is of no account, except as leading up to the visit to Mr. Elton, and she goes to see an old servant, while Harriet pays her formal call at the Abbey Mill Farm. Robert Martin is a farmer, and a letter from him is introduced, but he has no share of any consequence in the dialogue. When we remember Jane Austen's avowed partiality for Emma, and Emma's disgust at the idea of Harriet marrying a mere farmer, no matter how much her admirer Knightley might support the man's claims, we may not unreasonably suppose that Jane, to some extent, shared Emma's prejudice. There was, however, a notable exception to Jane's remoteness from the farming class. The joint tenant of the manor farm at Steventon, the happily married James Digweed, who seems to have been ordained later on, was admitted to so much favor that she could not only dance and dine and gossip with him, but could chaff her sister about his evident desire to gain Cassandra's affection. Two or three apothecaries are admitted into the novels. One attends Jane Bennet at Netherfield, 
and another attends marion dashwood at cleveland apothecary was almost a term of contempt in those days and one of jane's hits at the neighbourhood of hans place was that there seemed to be only one person there who was not an apothecary she even as we have seen corrects her niece for supposing that a country doctor not a mere apothecary would ever be introduced to appear the only country tradesman who figures at all prominently is sir william lucas who had risen to the honour of knighthood by an address to the king during his mayorality the distinction had perhaps been felt too strongly it had given him a disgust to his business by nature inoffensive friendly and obliging his presentation at st james had made him courteous he is not so diverting a creature as martin tinman of crickswich in mr meredith's delightful comedy the house on the beach who when rescued from that storm-beaten home on a terrible night was found to be wearing a court suit in which long before he had presented an address to the throne but sir william lucas's constant recollection of the fact that he had been received by the sovereign while his neighbours the small country gentlemen had not is illustrated with admirable art in his emporium with his stock in trade around him his portrait would never have been drawn mr weston also made money in trade apparently in the wholesale line after he had retired from the militia and of the proud and conceited bingley sisters we are told that they were of a respectable family in the north of england a circumstance more deeply impressed on their memories than that their brother's fortune and their own had been acquired by trade jane has many kindly things to tell her sister about her mother's maids especially of a faithful and industrious nanny of the maid's relations the agricultural class amid whose homes she passed nearly all her life she has as i have said left no account in her novels her letters do indeed contain many bits of news concerning the ploughmen and washerwomen of the parish and they are significant as to the manner proper to the age in which she regarded her humble neighbours her references to the cottagers are commonly devoid of any indication of deeper feeling than the consciousness of a need to give them clothes of the people employed on her father's farm she says john bond begins to find himself grow old which john bond ought not to do and unequal to much hard work a man is therefore hired to supply his place as to labour and john himself is to have the care of the sheep there are not more people engaged than before i believe only men instead of boys i fancy so at least but you know my stupidity as to such matters lizzie bond is just apprenticed to miss small so we may hope to see her able to spoil gowns in a few years about christmas seventeen ninety eight she writes of my charities to the poor since i came home you shall have a faithful account i have given a pair of worsted stockings to mary hutchins dame q mary stevens and dame staples a shift to hannah staples and a shawl to betty dawkins amounting in all to about half a guinea but i have no reason to suppose that the batties would accept of anything because i have not made them the offer of personal service we hear but little there is just the old lady bountiful idea adapted to the purse of the parson's younger daughter alms were what the poor chiefly wanted and alms they received if not in money in warm garments 
she gave them worsted stockings and flannel to wear in the cold weather she did not often so far as we hear sit and chat with dame staples and dame q over the things that made up their life interests or listen to the confidences of lizzie bond and hannah staples considering their rustic lovers sometimes we do hear of talks with poor women as when jane writes i called yesterday upon betty lond who inquired particularly after you and said she seemed to miss you very much because you used to call in upon her very often this was an oblique reproach at me which i am sorry to have merited and from which i will profit we may well believe that jane was no pioneer in district visiting her services to humanity were of another kind almost alone among the greater novelists who have written the fiction of drawing-rooms she was hardly less indifferent as a writer to the concerns of the governing class of her day than of the voteless class unless indeed she was a hostile witness so far as her knowledge went among the worst-bred persons in the novels with john thorpe mr collins and the ever delightful mrs bennett are sir walter elliot and lady catherine de bourg and the hero whose manners are most open to reproach is lady catherine's nephew darcy before he has been refused by elizabeth jane austen's views on the claims of social position as distinct from individual character were much the same as anne elliot's mr elliot and anne we learn did not always think alike his value for rank and connection she perceived to be greater than hers it was not merely complacence it must be a liking to the cause which made him enter warmly into her father's and sister's solicitudes on a subject which she thought unworthy to excite them she was reduced to form a wish which she had never foreseen a wish that they had more pride had lady dalrymple and her daughter even been very agreeable she would still have been ashamed of the agitation they created but they were nothing there was no superiority of manner accomplishment or understanding the dalrymples and lady catherine de bourg do not lead one to suppose that jane's acquaintance with their class was a fortunate one had it been she would probably have given some happier examples of the titular aristocracy lord osborne in the watsons is in some ways a more amiable type but too sketchy to be of much account as an antidote to the unpleasing people as the aunt of darcy and the cousins of anne elliot if persons of artificial eminence are almost unknown in the novels there is an even more complete dearth of men or women distinguished for their individual gifts or achievements sir john middleton fills his too hospitable mansion with an endless supply of guests who keep his maidservants hard at work in preparing spare bedrooms that were occupied the night before for fresh arrivals in the afternoon he hardly allows time to speed the parting guests before he must return to welcome their successors but no statesman or traveller or professor not so much as a rising politician or a poet crosses those ever open doors they do not come for one reason and it seems a sufficient one because they scarcely exist for the author or if they do the people who eat mutton and drink port and madeira around the mahogany tables at netherfield or barton or upper cross know and care nothing whatever about them and their performances each thinks his little set mankind is as true of the characters in jane austen's books as in a sense it is true one is sometimes inclined to think 
of their author the moorlands the musgroves and woodhouses and bennets have never travelled unless an occasional visit to london may count as travel they have been into some neighbouring county they have been perchance to bath they have not so much as been to paris emma had never seen the sea twenty years earlier it would have been different darcy at any rate would have known something of france had he been twenty years older from the outbreak of the revolution till the first exile of napoleon france was not a likely place for any but the most adventurous of squires to choose for a pleasure trip nor after the rise of napoleon's star were the accessible parts of the continent very attractive for any but soldiers of fortune and spies thus not only are the conversations which jane austen offers devoid of any such elements of interest as are introduced for example by the appearance of byron in venetia or of shelley in nightmare abbey but the opportunities of lively talk offered by reminiscences of foreign manners and scenes are not allowed to the author on the other hand we do not meet with any of those egotistical travellers who as a contemporary of jane austen's declared if you introduce the name of a river or hill instantly deluge you with the rhine or make you dizzy with the height of mont blanc in any case however much the fact may be due to want of opportunities for enlarging her knowledge jane literature apart took very little interest in anything outside the social and family life of her own class in the country her published correspondence has been described as trivial as her novels have been for that is what madame de stal meant by vulgaire and not vulgar as sir james mackintosh and others have supposed and in comparison with such contemporary letters as byron's or lamb's her accounts of her dances and her bonnets are certainly weak tea for serious readers they are however exactly such letters as she might have been expected to write her satire gives them an agreeable tartness which somehow suggests the syllabubs which were so common a feature of the supper-tables of her times it is all one may reasonably suppose like the common talk of the drawing-room in a manor-house on an afternoon when the men are hunting or shooting the choice of a winter frock the prospects of a ball at some territorial magnates the errors of cooks and housemaids the fatuity of this young man who is so rich and the silliness of that young woman who is so pretty enlivened by jane's wit the dances whether full-dress balls or merely small and early hops were among the favourite pleasures of jane austen if you have read her letters you will feel that she is present when fanny price dances so prettily at mansfield park or when darcy declines to dance with elizabeth because though she is tolerable she is not handsome enough to tempt him i danced twice with warren last night and once with mr charles watkins and to my inexpressible astonishment i entirely escaped john lyford i was forced to fight hard for it however we had a very good supper and the greenhouse was illuminated in a very elegant manner such bits of news are common at all periods of jane's correspondence for example the ball on thursday was a very small one indeed hardly so large as an oxford smack and again our ball on thursday was a very poor one only eight couple and but twenty-three people in the room just as it was when they got up the scratch dance at the bertrams 
the thought only of the afternoon built on the late acquisition of a violin player in the servants hall on another occasion at a public hall at the county town the portsmouths dorchesters boltons portals and clerks were there and all the meaner and more usual etc etc there was a scarcity of men in general and a still greater scarcity of any that were good for much i danced nine dances out of ten five with stephen terry t shute and james digweed and four with catherine there was commonly a couple of ladies standing up together but not often any so amiable as ourselves jane from all we know of her would almost as soon dance with another girl as with a man it was the dancing she loved and watching the behaviour of others their flirtations their love-making their airs and affectations emma woodhouse the day after a dance at highbury might have sent to her sister in brunswick square just such an account as jane austen to her sister at godmersham there were very few beauties and such as there were were not very handsome one of the girls seemed to her a queer animal with a white neck mrs warren i was constrained to think a very fine young woman which i much regret she danced away with great activity her husband is ugly enough uglier even than his cousin john but he does not look so very old the miss maitlands are both prettyish very like anne with brown skins large dark eyes and a good deal of nose the general has got the gout and mrs maitland the jaundice the ball to which jane austen went in eighteen o eight her thirty-fourth year was rather more amusing than she expected the melancholy part was to see so many dozen young women standing by without partners and each of them with two ugly naked shoulders it was the same room in which we danced fifteen years ago i thought it all over and in spite of the shame of being so much older felt with thankfulness that i was quite happy now as then we paid an additional shilling for our tea this letter is but one of many bits of evidence that no memory of a captain wentworth troubled jane's own life the shame such a woman could have felt in being older one can scarcely imagine and the context shows it was not seriously felt the most pathetic dancing incident in the novels was the impromptu affair at uppercross in persuasion where anne saw her old lover apparently losing his heart elsewhere the evening ended with dancing on its being proposed anne offered her services as usual and though her eyes would sometimes fill with tears as she sat at the instrument she was extremely glad to be employed and desired nothing in return but to be unobserved she did not know that wentworth who was making so merry with the musgrove girls was faithful all the time to his old love herself we might doubt whether the author knew it until later on in the story were it not that the idea of ending a novel without the marriage of the principal maiden to the man she liked best would have been entirely foreign to jane austen's method so frederick wentworth danced with the musgroves and anne played for their delight the dance most fully described was that given by the westons at the crown when mr elton behaved so abominably to harriet smith and mr knightley showed himself a preux chevalier and saved emma's lovely protege from the humiliation of being the only wallflower in describing how elizabeth at netherfield catherine at bath harriet at highbury 
and fanny at mansfield park idly watched the dancing because no man had asked them to join it jane pretty girl and excellent dancer as she was spoke from personal experience once at any rate when in the pride of youth and beauty she was able to write after a dance at a neighbouring house i do not think i was very much in request people were rather apt not to ask me till they could not help it one's consequence you know varies so much at times without any particular reason there was one gentleman an officer of the cheshire a very good-looking young man who i was told wanted very much to be introduced to me but as he did not want it quite enough to make much trouble in effecting it we never could bring it about she would not if she could help it dance with bad partners one of my gayest actions she writes after a ball was sitting down two dances in preference to having lord bolton's eldest son for my partner who danced too ill to be endured it is in connection with one of the weston's parties that mr woodhouse makes his sage observations on the eternal question of ventilation when frank churchill says that the fresh air difficulty will be settled by their dancing in a large room so that the windows need not be opened because it is that dreadful habit of opening the windows letting in cold air upon heated bodies which does the mischief mr woodhouse cries open the windows but surely mr churchill nobody would think of opening the windows at randall's nobody could be so imprudent i never heard of such a thing dancing with open windows i am sure neither your father nor mrs weston poor miss taylor that was would suffer it ah sir but a thoughtless young person will sometimes step behind a window curtain and throw up a sash without its being suspected i have often known it done myself have you indeed sir bless me i never could have supposed it but i live out of the world and am often astonished at what i hear the conversation of this valetudinarian quietist is always diverting he suggests that emma should leave the coles party before it is half over as it is so bad to be up late but my dear sir cries mr weston if emma comes away early it will be breaking up the party and no great harm it does says mr woodhouse the sooner every party breaks up the better advancing maturity did not do much to spoil jane's love of dances from southampton in eighteen o nine she wrote your silence on the subject of our ball makes me suppose your curiosity too great for words we were very well entertained and could have stayed longer but for the arrival of my list shoes to convey me home and i did not like to keep them waiting in the cold if jane tells cassandra about her own dances she is ever ready in return for news of cassandra's i shall be extremely anxious to hear the event of your ball and shall hope to receive so long and minute an account of every particular that i shall be tired of reading it we were at a ball on saturday i assure you we dined at goodnestone and in the evening danced two country dances in the boulangeries this french dance by the way was on the unwritten programme at mr bingley's ball in pride and prejudice it seems to have had its birth in the revolution when the bakers men and women together kept themselves warm by joining hands and dancing up and down the streets after jane fairfax had sung herself hoarse at the coles party the proposal of dancing originating nobody knew exactly where was so effectually promoted by mr and mrs cole 
that everything was rapidly clearing away to give proper space mrs weston capital in her country dances was seated and beginning an irresistible waltz and frank churchill coming up with the most becoming gallantry to emma had secured her hand and led her up to the top where she let off the dance with genuine spirit and enjoyment the waltz was a novelty still in those days and seems here to be classed as a country dance it had been imported from germany where mozart had done much to forward its triumph after jane austen had written her earlier novels and i cannot remember any other reference to it in her work it was at first considered an improper dance and one need not be surprised that a generation which had danced nothing more intimate than the boulangeries were at first a little flustered by the new fashion sheridan watching the dancers in a ballroom repeated the following lines of his own composition which aptly suggest the contrast between the old dancing and the new as it struck the eyes of our great grand aunts about the time when emma danced at the crown and jane austen at goodnestone with tranquil step and timid downcast glance behold the well-paired couple now advance in such sweet posture our first parents moved while hand in hand through eden's bowers they roved ere yet the devil with promise fine and false turned their poor heads and taught them how to waltz little wonder when a waltz was regarded as forbidden fruit if edmund bertram fanny and sir thomas were shocked at the very idea of play-acting by the family and guests at mansfield park not that there were wanting plenty of quiet souls who were in no wise personally distressed at the impropriety of the waltz on their own account just as in the other matter of amateur theatricals and the choice of a play when lady bertrand asked her children not to act anything improper it was not because she had any personal objection to offer but because sir thomas would not like it the bertrams ill-fated theatricals and the waltz which mrs weston played served to emphasize the place which jane austen fills as a historian of the transition from the formal prudery of the sceptical eighteenth century to the broader liberties of the scientific nineteenth what has become of all the shyness in the world she asks her sister in eighteen o seven shyness and the sweating sickness have given way to confidence in paralytic complaints morals change but little as compared to moors the girls who act in private theatricals every winter and dance twenty waltzes a night half the year round are no whit less virtuous than their great-grandmothers who were shocked at the waltz and caught cold in clothes which were so thin that as a close observer has recorded you could see the gleam of their garter buckles through the silks and kersimeres as they danced and altogether so suitable for a classical revival that a contemporary poet was moved to utter the quatrain when dressed for the evening the girls nowadays scarce an atom of dress on them leave nor blame them for what is an evening dress but a dress that is suited to eve thus the mother of mankind is accused by one poet of having danced the first waltz and held responsible by another for the airy fashions of the recamier period one of the principal differences of etiquette we may note before passing on between the customs of the ballroom a century ago and now was that in the days when john lyford was eluded with so much difficulty 
a girl danced two successive dances with the same partner as a matter of course so that neither an imaginary john thorpe nor a real john lyford could be got rid of by the promise of one dance the scraps from the letters given on the last few pages help us to realize how clearly jane austen's own life is at times reflected in her books end of chapter three